UTL Radio welcomes you to this episode of Understanding Business, a weekly radio program focused around business and personal development topics. The program is hosted by nationally recognized business attorney Peter Lamont and is a service of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont and Associates. As always, we welcome input and feedback from you, the listener, and we encourage you to join in the conversation by calling the live program at 347-855-8831 or by contacting us via our social media sites. Links to our various sites are listed on our main website, utlradio.com. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. And now, your host, Peter Lamont. Good morning and welcome to episode 82. Today is September 25th, and we're fortunate and human resources guru Lou Adler. Uh, Lou is the president of the Adler Group, an international consulting firm, helping companies implement performance engineering. He is the author of numerous books, including The Essential Guide for Hiring and Being Hired, and Hire with Your Head Using Performance-Based Hiring to Build Great Teams. Before I introduce Lou, I just want to thank our sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by Audible, the leading provider of audiobooks on the Internet. Audible has a massive library of more than 100,000 audio programs, and audio pro- Audible is providing our listeners with an exclusive offer. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash UTL radio, and you can download a free audio, no strings attached. Uh, in fact, you can download his guest book, Lou Adler's book, The Essential Guide to Hiring and Getting Hired, by using that link. So it's audibletrial.com forward slash UTL radio. I also want to remind you that is so critical, it helps us provide you with the best guests, the best information and content possible. So let us know what you think of today's show and our other programs by posting on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Google+, YouTube, or directly the email address at utlradio.com. Links to our various social media pages can be found on UTL Radio. And finally, if you'd like to ask Lou a question or join in today's conversation, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. Lou, I want to thank you for being on the program today and for being willing to help our listeners better understand performance-based hiring and talk about human resources in general. So thank you. Peter, happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Lou, if, if you would, let's start off with a bit about you and your background, give our listeners a little bit of, uh, of understanding about where you came from and what you do right now. Well, that's, uh, that could be a long story, but I'll make it the 30 or the one-minute version. Yeah, I'm a kind of a weird kind of a person. Well, weird in multiple ways, but let's just talk about recruiting in this sense. My background is an engineer, so I actually was an engineer many, many years ago. Uh, worked in aerospace and manufacturing. Got an MBA, uh, got into finance and accounting, got into material control and manufacturing, and joining a company when I was 31, 32. Small company, well, wasn't that small, but the 200, 300 people in it. Hated the group president, literally hated the group president, quit was using some recruiters, decided for at least a year I'll be a recruiter because I could just figure out what to do. Decided I really like being a recruiter, but was interesting is I brought all of that engineering, manufacturing, and business process background to recruiting. Uh, And after a couple years, we realized, hey, there was things that you could do, and if you repeated them every time, you'd actually get the same results. Uh, So we said, okay, let's just do that. Let's figure out what does it take to hire a great person, 
let's try a lot of different things, and let's see what works and tends to be repeated. And eventually that became performance-based hiring. Uh, we can get into the specific details, but it's a business process to hire top talent. Includes how do you define the work, includes how do you find the candidates, includes how do you interview the candidates, how do you close the candidate. Uh, and it, we've over the years, which is now 20, 30 years, we've done it for 100,000 camp counselors at the YMCA. We helped about 10, 15 years ago the In-N-Out Burger and other fast food chains hire college kids or high school kids. We work with engineers, board members, CEOs of companies. So we've it's obviously been refined, but it really started out 30 years ago as how do you, how do you hire great people every time, and what are the things that are very common to all these people? So that's the essence of it. You know, and, and that's a really important topic, and it's a very hard thing for people to deal with because hiring people, there are so many people in this world looking for jobs, looking for what you might be offering, and they might have um, you know, the general criteria for what you're looking for. But when you hire somebody, you're making a massive investment, and the, the hiring process in and of itself, if you don't hire the right person, you're going to be losing so much money by having to rehire, repost jobs. Um, and, and is that kind of where this idea of performance-based hiring was was built out of, this idea of trying to save people money? And, and no, I have to say, certainly that would be the altruistic reason. Mm-hmm. I did it as a recruiter. I realized that, hey, I could make more money if I did it more efficiently purely as a recruiter. So it was, it was semi-selfish to say is – you know, what goes wrong with the process? Let's just have a process that's efficient. We as recruiters then could sell that process and differentiate our search firm. I think then the broader uh, ecosystem for companies look at it and say, yes, all those other benefits uh, would be accrued. But I didn't start out that way. I just said, hey, I think we can be a better search firm by doing it this way and offering our services that way. And over the years, we've fine-tuned it and honed it and wrote books about it, and it did work. So uh, the the end game was exactly as you just described it, Peter, but it certainly wasn't the intent that I was trying to change society in any way. Gotcha. All right, now let's talk a little bit about performance-based hiring more specifically. You know, it sounds like you're looking at people who can perform and you're going to base the hiring off of their performance. That's what it sounds like to the average person. Can you, you know, expound upon that and, and tell us exactly what it is well, that's exactly what it is, but let me kind of take it from a different tack. It's exactly what you just said. The idea is that when we promote a person internally, I know you. You've worked with me, Peter, before, for example. Uh, we're looking, And you're uh, a product marketing person. Well, we're going to make you the director of marketing. You're a little bit light for the job, uh, but you've done a lot of the things that we think, and we have a high probability that you'll be successful in the job. When we promote people, we promote them based on their performance and potential. And that's how we, uh, and even when we hire people who are referred to us, say Bill Smith was referred to us, Robin Bull was referred to us, we tend to value a referral differently. We look at these people based on their performance and potential. However, once we hire strangers, someone we don't know, we said, oh, they got to have all these skills, all these experiences, they got to fit these filters, they got to fit this compensation filter. So we change the rules when we hire people from the outside, and it's not very effective. So our, our idea is, hey, let's just hire people based on their performance and potential. But how do you do that? Well, the first thing you do is you do not use job descriptions that define skills and experiences. Most jobs, when you think about a job description that defines skills and experiences, that's not a job description. That's a person description. A person has skills. A person has experiences. A person has an academic background. So I just say 
to the hiring manager, what does this person need to do to be successful? What would it take for this person to accomplish these tasks and to be the best in the group of the top 25% or top third in your company doing this work? So that's, we call that a performance-based job description. That's the beginning of performance-based uh, hiring. Let's define the actual work you need to get done. Now, the whole we can get into the other details of it, but how do you find people who want to do that work? Well, it's a heck of a lot easier to find people who want to do that work than it is to find a person who meets the skills criteria. And we know people who can meet all the skills criteria might not be able to do the work or want to do the work. So our goal is, hey, we'll find people who can do the work. And I guarantee if they can do the work, build a team in six months, launch this new design product, accomplish this task, turn around this factory. If they can do that work, we can prove it, they have exactly the skills needed. But having the skills doesn't imply that they can do the work. So the idea is let's define the work first just the way we should do it internally when we're promoting someone. Let's define the work they need to do. Hey, Peter, you can handle this job because you have many of the skills, but you have the ability to, you have the potential uh, past performance to indicate that you'll be successful. So that's the general idea. We can get more specifics, but it starts off by defining the work the person needs to do to be successful. All right. So instead of giving somebody a list of here's what the job requirements are, you're going to, you know, input data, you contact clients, communicate with people, that sort of thing. You're going to define the job more than just giving skills and, and job requirements, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. For example, if I was doing a controller job, uh, and I'll just give you an example of one of these a couple of years ago, it was uh, implement a new budgeting system, set up, you know, update the inter- internal reporting system and be able to consolidate with um, corporate accounting, develop an internal budgeting system that all the managers could use. Uh, it was actual tasks, and we take uh, the top, I mean, most jobs have six or eight tasks, but we take the top three or four and we advertise those. You don't, and there's no law that says you have to advertise a job description. No law anywhere that says that. It just uh, somehow we've interpreted that in terms of how the ATR applicant tracking systems are designed, how job boards post jobs. But that, that's almost in some way counterproductive is to post a job description. There are very few great people who have all the skills, are top performers, want less money and have an economic need to apply and are willing to take a lateral transfer. Very few top people willing to do that, but yet we can insist on people meeting that criteria when we go to the outside and use job boards and even write job descriptions, which makes no sense. I mean, when you just peel the onion and just think of it logically, there are very few people who meet that criteria. All the skills, top performer, willing to take less pay, uh, willing to take a lateral transfer and have an economic need to do this. So it seems like flexibility is an issue. You as the employer have to be flexible enough to say, this is what we're looking for. And if they don't fit this cookie-cutter mold, you know, because I think a lot of companies will say they don't fit the mold, they're, they're missing this skill and this requirement, they're out. But that doesn't mean that they might not be great candidates for the job. Well, even worse than that, and I think you hit it right in the head, they have to fit a mold. I make the contention is that companies hire people just like they've always hired. They hire and they try to avoid hiring mistakes. They don't hire better people. They hire people just like we always have. They meet the. They have to meet the skills criteria. They have to meet the compensation filter. They have to sound. Excuse me, I'm fighting a cold. They have to sound like us. They have to talk like us. They have to look like us. And let's avoid mistakes as we do that. So companies go out of their way to maintain an average. Not to say that it's not it's not bad or good, but they're certainly. I'll say they're almost anti-diversity. The best people look different. They have different skills. They went to different backgrounds. They came from different industries. They think differently. So 
So if you fit a mold, you basically say, let's just clone our existing workforce. To me, that is one way to stop progress and stop growth. Now, if you take a company like uh, like a Google, like we all hear the story, there's been movies about it, documentaries and books. Google seems not fit that mold because a lot of the people that they have working there seem to be you know, the odd man out, if you will. So is Google using this sort of hiring program, in your opinion? I think I know some folks at Google, maybe about five or six years ago, I talked with one of their senior directors, and she said it, it's different at Google. Google's got such an employer brand, they can cherry pick the best people, particularly the younger people. Um, I mean, think about it. Somebody who's a great engineer at 30 years old who's looking for it isn't going to go to Google. That, they're past that. That's, but Google's a remarkable place for someone young to get their foundation, learn how to do it, and be a little bit of an oddball. But they have an opportunity to select people differently. Uh, they have what's called a surplus of talent uh, funnel. They've got plenty of good people. It almost doesn't matter whom Google hires. They're hiring a bunch of smart people. I think they're a little narrow-minded in some of the people that are hired. I mean, just think about Google right now. I'm looking at Gmail right now. It is ugly. Uh, they just really, in the last two years, Google said, hey, i got to make some great design changes. Well, you could have said 10 years ago they should have made great design changes. Their products aren't necessarily aesthetically beautiful. You look at Apple, however, their products, whether you like Apple or not, I tend to like them, but they are, they are the design of an Apple product tends to be beautiful. Um, so I think Google has kind of underperformed because of their mentality of cloning the people they have. However, they have an unusual situation, and some companies have it, <clears throat> is they have a surplus of good talent to choose from. Most companies are in a scarcity of talent situation. In a scarcity situation where the demand for talent is greater than the supply, you cannot do the same things if you ha in a surplus of talent. So what I always tell when we tell our clients is, Let's figure out who, the people you're going to hire. Are you in a surplus situation? Well, that's a different methodology to find and track those people and hire them than in a scarcity situation. In a scarcity situation, you have to attract them in. In a surplus situation, you have to weed them out. And those are two fundamentally different hiring methodologies. All right, now let's just uh, go back for one second, if you would. I want to just ask a question about performance-based hiring, and then I want to get into some of the questions that we received this week. We're talking about now uh, external hires, people that are not internal, they're not moving laterally. We have no idea what they're really capable of doing. How does performance-based hiring work when you're dealing with somebody that you see them in an interview and you see their, their qualifications on paper? How would performance-based apply? How would you make that work? Okay, so let me kind of just go through the, the essence of it. We define the work as a series of performance objectives. For someone in product marketing, it might be work with engineering and operations and develop a product launch plan uh, for the next two years. Uh, work with the advertising outside agency and uh, develop a social media and radio and talk show or uh, radio and TV and Internet advertising program that can get our product launched in uh, six months, whatever it is. It's a series of tasks. So now you've got the job. Now I'm meeting a candidate, Mary Smith. Uh, the, I won't go through the whole interview, but we have, what two, I'll call them, two core questions. Obviously, we do a work history review first. We look for uh, evidence that the person's a top achiever within that work history review, which is defined in the book. But, but the real question on performance has to do is, Mary, one of our big projects that we have to accomplish here is launch this product in six months. It turns out that we're probably three months behind our launch plan. This person who takes a job has to accomplish that. 
can you tell me about something you've accomplished that's most comparable to that? And so we set the stages, we decide the uh, performance objective, we tell the candidate, tell us something about it, and then we almost spend 10 or 15 or 20 minutes figuring out what the candidates did. Mary, why were you chosen for this job? Walk me through the project. How did you plan the project? What were the challenges you had in the project? How did you make decisions? What was the biggest, uh, who was on the team in the project? How did you influence those? How did you, uh, were you successful or not? I mean, we have a whole sequence of fact-finding First, we ask the basic question, tell me about an accomplishment. Candidates can all, will normally only talk one or two minutes, but it's a detailed fact-finding, peeling the onion, digging into the details to find out what the person actually accomplished. So that's the core of it. However, we then ask the candidate, for all, we ask the same kind of question for all the other accomplishments. And pretty soon, you see it's almost a scatter diagram where you can look at the candidate's growth of accomplishments over time. Four years ago, Mary had one or two people. Three years ago or two years ago, she had a team of five people. Now she's running a project with the marketing team. She's, uh, she's the head of the launch committee for this. She's developing a new product roadmap. And you start seeing the growth of these accomplishments over time. So it's the trend of the accomplishments over time and the comparability of the accomplishments that tell us, is this a good candidate or not? That's the essence of it. There's other, some uh, components to it that we can get into, but that's the essence of it. Look at the track record of the person's accomplishments in comparison to exactly what you need done. So this is sort of uh, completely different from what a lot of small and mid-sized companies are doing because they're, they're sitting somebody down and they're asking them the questions, where did you go to school? What were your job duties at your last job? And you can read those things off of the resume, but that's how most interviews, most people that we've worked with, that's how they conduct them. Now, that's how they make mistakes, too. That's because they're not doing – they're asking questions that have nothing to do with predicting performance. So this is really interesting, and I think that, that a lot of smaller and mid-sized companies can really gain a lot from this because why just go through somebody's resume and ask what you can see on paper? You're, you're more of the uh, Sherlock Holmes of the interview, trying to get to the core of what they are capable of doing through experience, right, not through where would you go to school. Wait, I, I have to write this. I, you just gave me a good article idea, Peter. The Sherlock Holmes interviewing. So I've got a. So I appreciate that. Yes, you you, you're, yeah, we're right. I just like I got to write this down. That was too good to pass. <laughs> so I mean, that's really interesting because you know you've got to look at this now from a, a brand new perspective when you're dealing with a, a small business. And let, let's get into that if you if you can for a few minutes because a lot of the questions that have come in this week. Uh, seem to be from companies that have 50 employees or less. And, and there's so many questions because they can't always afford to pay top dollar to people. And I think that it's just generally understood that if you want the best people, they're going to be the most expensive and you've got to pay top dollar. And smaller companies in this economy, they still can't do that right now. You know, you've got places out in, in like Seattle where minimum wage is so high right now, it's very difficult for, I think, smaller companies to sort of bring in quality talent, at least based upon the way that they are screening people. So hiring for small business is the topic that I'd like to get into. And one of the main questions we received is, how do we go out and find quality talent? And small businesses are relying on sites like Monster.com or Craigslist, and they're putting out a very, very basic ad 
with the requirements of the job, not with the big picture. So is that, I mean, from what we've talked about, first of all, it doesn't sound like it's the right thing to do, but what would a small business do to first attract talent? How would they go about doing it? Is Craigslist the well, right way? First off, let me kind of take it from general to specific. As I And I just to give everyone a background uh, on this, I started out, working with small companies. That's actually where I did most of the study and the, the, the work for performance-based hiring and the stories. I had an opportunity, and I'll call it brilliant marketing. I had nothing to do with it. My next-door neighbor was in a couple of CEO business groups, small companies. He had a printing company, about 50 people. He was, it was called Tech at the time. It's now called Vistage, where companies, company presidents hang out. Uh, then he went to Young President's organization, and he introduced me to some other business groups. And over the next 10 years, the three of us, my two partners and I, we made 400 presentations over 10 years, almost two to three a month for 10 years, to groups of company presidents of anywhere from 25 people to 100 people. So a lot of my stories are written from that. The idea is, and I tell, so that's the, the how I got, the, almost built this whole thing up, and it was pretty interesting because I was working with the CEO directly. The idea was you have to define the work first. If you don't define the work, Forget about it. So start with, tell me what this work is about. Now, now we find, how do you find people? Okay, now I well, first off, don't post the job description. Again, it's boring. Think about uh, your job descriptions as advertising. What's in it for the candidate? For not to always tell I tell the candidate why would a top person want this job? Forget the money. Why would they want the job? Is it a career-oriented move or is it just boring job? <clears throat> well, if you're not going to, and what the job should focus on, what the person can do, learn, and become. That should be the essence of the advertising. <clears throat> the ad should also be compelling, a good title, good line, and emphasize what they're going to do and become. It should not be a repost of your internal job descriptions. I don't know why anybody even thinks it. It's just like taking, hey, we've got a, a, a product. We're going to repost all the product specs, the right. engineering specs. Why would anybody do that? It just, it's illogical. So, uh, when you, so now if you're in a scarcity situation, you're in a small market, you're, you're a small company, you want good talent, well, you got to conceptually, you got to say, hey, i got to attract people here. What's the attraction? Independence, opportunity to get your hands in a lot of things, help shape our company and help grow our company, uh, work on products that are going to revolutionize how data is inputted into mobile, whatever it is, all that kind of stuff. Well, you got to capture that somewhere in a message. I had a very small uh, entertainment company up in the L.A. area a couple years ago, very small company. Salary was low. They were looking for a controller. I put a post on LinkedIn that said Oscar-winning controller. Well, it made no sense at all, but right. it captured a lot of attention. We had folks from PricewaterhouseCooper who looked at it. Well, that's a cool ad. Can we do something like that? Then it said, we have a small company that needs your help. And it described the three or four things I said earlier. Rebuild the accounting system. Uh, help create a budget that our creative people can understand and maintain. Uh, work with a bunch of independent collaborators because that's where the entertainment is. We just define that. And I said, hey, a CPA is probably important. An MBA would be nice, but the real issue is is working with creative people and putting them on the right track, but not let, but not diminishing their creativity. It was a story. Then I said, if you're successful, the head of our company will be thanking you when he gets his Oscar next year. The response <laughs> was overwhelming. And I got somebody from one of the big, I won't tell you what you were, we got somebody from one of the big entertainment companies. And the ad was, get out of the numbers and make a difference. Because I knew what CPAs at these big entertainment companies were. I knew the salary was going to be low, but I know the jobs are boring. 
get out of the numbers and make a difference. So we had to find that line. We helped a uh, hospital up in Northern California looking for nurses, flight nurses on the medevac program. They couldn't find any. And I just said, why? Do, I just asked the person, why do people do this job? And it was helping save lives every day. So why don't you just put in your tagline? All she did was change flight nurses, helping save lives every day. She found the candidates. For three months, she didn't find anybody. She just changed the tagline, helping save lives every day. Found, well, she had 14 applies, hired, needed two for the flight nurse program, hired six, two for the flight nurse, four for the emergency room. It doesn't, you got to capture that intrinsic motivator, describe what the person's going to do, and put a little around a little story. So That's how you do just, it. You can't be lazy when you're posting job ads. It ads is really the, the bottom line. Advertising, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 and I don't think anybody you know, really thinks about that, especially small, mid-sized companies. No, big no- company, Peter, it's everybody. Nobody thinks about it. Big companies don't have time. Small companies don't have time. They just don't think it's the right thing to do. Right. They, they pass it on to you know, their hiring team, and they have them post an ad, and the ads are very generic. So, all right, so now we're attracting people to the, the company because of this great ad. What happens when you can't afford to hire someone who would be demanding a large salary? What can you do to get somebody to come into your company that might not be able to make a ton of money at first? What can you offer them? Okay, I think that's it's not it's how you phrase the question. So I've got a a, a post I'm writing for LinkedIn. I'd write a lot for LinkedIn influencers. Uh, and what's like, oh, it's the stupidest questions. You can have to answer the stupid questions. One stupid question is, what do you want? What's the salary? Uh, when you think about hiring, so think about it, and I'm going to, I'll make it quick, but you think there's really four steps in the hiring process. What people have, we write job descriptions of what they have, which I think is stupid, uh, and candidates put a resume together, which describes all what they have, and I think that's stupid. But that's how you mix and match. I, that's why I like creative ads to get away from that. Hey, if you could do this work, we want to talk to you. Then we have the second part of the process, which is what I call the getting decision. It's what do you get? You get a job, you get a title, you get a company, you get a location, you get a compensation package. And everybody wants to know that before they enter the discussion. And I say, why would you negotiate the, all this stuff before you know what you're negotiating? Uh, it's what you do and become that's the negotiating. So, when it can't, so we, I train lots of recruiters around the world. So we train literally around the world. Uh, and everybody asks this question, okay, where they are, Australia, Thailand, India, Germany, it doesn't matter. They ask the question, what's your salary? Well, I tell recruiters, don't ask that question. It's a stupid question. But candidates also ask, what's the compensation? So I, when a candidate asks the question, I say this. This is as a recruiter to candidate. I said, let's be real frank, Mary, that she's our candidate of choice here. It doesn't really matter what we pay you. If this, if this job isn't a career move, it doesn't matter what we pay you. Let's first see if the job's a career move, then we'll figure out if the compensation package could work. So we say, get into the discussion. Don't get into negotiating the job before you know the person or you know what the job's about. And I think people put these blinders on. They Before they can go to step three, they go to, well, let's make sure everything fits. Right. Well, it's like going into a store and saying, okay, I want to buy a TV. And then the person at the gate says, well, you can't come in unless you can show us your money. You can't come in unless you can afford the TV, which is what we really do when we talk to candidates. We have this mentality is we got to do this. So you got to break the stupid thinking that starts there. Now, when a, So I tell candidates, if a recruiter says, what's the money, don't fall for the bait. The recruiter doesn't know what he or she is doing. For a candidate, I say, uh, if the job is really a career move, my compensation needs are going to be different. If it's just a lateral transfer, then I'm going to want more. Let's first see what the job's about, 
and then we'll figure out if the compensation can work. So the idea is whether you're a candidate or a recruiter or a hiring manager, get into the discussion about the job and the career opportunity before you get into the comp. Because I've been doing this for so many years, comp is number one when you don't know the job. Comp is number one when you don't know the person. You've got to say, is that filter work? But comp is three, four, or five on the list when you know the job and the circumstances. So let me it ask just, you this. So it becomes less. So you got to. So you got to force. That's where you you got to change. You got to just force people to rethink. And a job decision takes uh, not years. Takes hours to determine if it's a good job. The comp decision takes seconds. I don't want it. I want it. Location don't want. It, I want it. But so we got to make the conversation much more career focused, not compensation focused. All right. So let me ask you this. So when people just want a job because they need money, they just want a job they're going to go in and they're going to be focused on what the compensation package is. But if you can provide them with an overview of how this is going to benefit them long-term, how you're going to be able to give them things like opportunities that they might not have at other places and, and you know, some independence and freedom, do you believe then that there are people who will take less money, be highly qualified, but because what you're offering them they're going to say, yeah, we want to work here because this sounds like a great opportunity and I'm willing to take a cut in pay. Is that is that? Well, pay? I think that's part of it. I think you're, that will get you 5 or 10%. I think what well, you said highly qualified was the issue. Mm-hmm. Is it's how you define highly qualified. In this case, Mary, she's our candidate. I'm going to say, Mary, you know, you're pretty qualified. You've only managed three people. Now you're going to be managing five people. You've never launched a product this significant, but your track record indicates you certainly have the capability to do it. So I'm going to probably change. I'm going to make them slightly less qualified. I'm not going to sacrifice their potential, though. This is where, and I tell hiring managers and companies, you either got to raise the bridge. You want a great person, you got to raise the bridge. you got to pay more or lower the water. you got to change the qualifications. What I want to do is I don't want to compromise on performance or potential. So, yes, I will find people who will give up a little bit. So if a person, and let's just say it's, I think you can get someone who's perfectly qualified to give up 5 or 10% if they see it's a real career move. You can get another 5 or 10% and say, let's get a person who's a little bit lighter, different mix, different industries, but a high potential person. We get a diverse candidate who doesn't have a perfect background, different industry, but has got all this potential. You take a military vet who's done some very complicated decision-making, project leadership, hey, we're going to have to put them through a three-month training program, but it's worth it because they bring this to the table. So I think there's a give and take on both sides. It's just I just don't want to hang up on that perfectly qualified because I think I'm changing the definition of qualified. Okay. Now, small businesses looking to find the talent. It sounds to me like what what we're talking about here, what you're suggesting is that you can find someone who doesn't have the exact paper requirements that your job description in your head might have and might require, but you can find somebody that's got the potential. And potential is based more upon experience and what they've done. So it doesn't sound to me like there's an area where you would not want to sort of look for candidates. So people, these small companies that say, we use Craigslist. And other people will say, well, that's really stupid. Why would you go to Craigslist? Because nobody worth anything is looking on Craigslist. How do you feel about something like Craigslist? Okay, so let's, that's a great point. Right, let's put Craigslist in a generic category of job board so, as opposed to is Craigslist a good job board? Okay. 
I don't like job boards, so let me just say that. I don't care if it's Craigslist. I don't care if it's LinkedIn or Monster or CareerBuilder. I don't like job boards. I don't like ZipRecruiters sending out 50 messages. The reason is I know that for critical jobs, most of the people aren't looking on job boards for jobs. They get jobs through networking and referrals. Uh, so I, I suggest to companies that they use what I call a 40-40-20 sourcing plan. 20% is job boards, but they're very compelling postings. And I, and I don't know if this is not a thing for that. I just heard the thing on Sirius Radio all the time. Zip Recruiter can post to uh, 50 job boards. I don't know if it's any good or not, so it's not. It's just the idea is that I post to all the job boards. I'll find out how much it makes. But if I'm going to use the job board, it's going to be a compelling ad. So that's number one. Where So I, I can't specifically say. Another uh, 40% is going to be on, I'm going to tap into my employee referrals. I'm going to tap into them and pro have them proactively look, help me find people they've worked with in the past. Even people who might be one-off, a little bit different potential, military vets, diverse candidates, people who might be older, physically challenged, people who've got a lot of potential but might be a little bit off. I'm going to give them a little freedom. I'm not going to look for this mold. I'm going to look for potential. Uh, and I might have to develop these people. I also do Boolean searching on LinkedIn a lot. This is what we tell our clients. Do a Boolean search, find people who are close, and send them an email. That's part of the 40%. Uh, so the 20% is ads. Another 40% is leveraging your employee referral program, using LinkedIn or any Boolean search to find resumes and send emails to these people who might not apply. Now I'm going to get to people who aren't looking but might be looking, and I just LinkedIn I'm just familiar with it. Again, I'm not going to advocate it, although I do advocate it. But uh, the point is it allows somebody to reach out and get people who are on the margin by direct by direct marketing. It's basically send an email to Pummy. Hey Peter, I really I saw your resume on LinkedIn. I really liked it. We got this interesting job. I'd like to engage in a conversation with you. So it's an email. The other forty percent is what I do as a recruiter is build in depth networks, go out to people and recruit them which are passive candidates. For a small company, maybe they do that for a vice president a critical vice president that's a strategic job. They pay a fee for it. Uh, and I made a living doing that, so uh, I recommend it, but that doesn't mean it's right. I just say I recommend it. But 40% they could do on their own, uh, and 20% they can do on their own. So I don't want to get to Craigslist in particular. I think it's if it works, it works. I don't know that it depends on the job, so I don't want to diminish it or uh, raise its uh, capability. But so so taking half a dozen or using something like uh, link or zip recruiter might be the tool and it's probably other equivalent to zip recruiter but i've heard the advertisement so much it's on the top of my mind got it all right that makes sense now when you're talking about um these small companies and maybe companies that are 20 people or under one thing that's been very popular over the last few years there's a lot of books written about it is the idea of outsourcing either using freelancers or going either overseas or within the country and building your team, your staff, of outsourcers. In fact, there's a, there's a guy on YouTube, Gideon Shalwick, who is uh, based in Australia. And he makes his living primarily uh, by promoting himself on YouTube. He's a video marketer. And most of his staff, if not all, are freelancers. And so he talks about the um, brilliant idea of having a staff, a team of qualified people, but they're not actual employees, their own independent contractors. How do you think about the freelance market? What do you think about that outsourcing idea? Well, I think, well, I'll say this. I, for certain jobs, I think it makes perfect sense. 
However, if I was, I mean, let's, from a practical standpoint, if I'm a small company, I got a physical location, I got a factory, I'm making stuff, well, I need somebody physically there. I can't outsource that. I think the idea is you probably can outsource projects or processes that are not uh, critical or strategic to your company. You've got a call center. Certainly, you could outsource that. I've got a marketing project I want the person to do or something where the person doesn't have to be physically on board. Uh, but if I have a manager, you can't outsource that. That person's got to be there. And if we're hiring people who are a little bit light on potential, that manager has to be uh, capable of coaching and mentoring and uh, project management. So I think there are certain positions that that works fine. Uh, and I think there are certain positions where it would be a, a huge mistake. So I think it's more situational than gen general in terms of making a conclusion. And that, that, without thinking through it logically, that would be my immediate reaction. That doesn't mean it's 100% right. I'd have to think about it specific in each specific job. So for small companies that say, oh, we, we shouldn't even look to hire somebody because I know we can't afford it, let's go out and let's let's you know look in this uh, freelancer pool, see what we can outsource. Um, it sounds like if they put the job ad out there correctly, Maybe their thinking is wrong. Maybe they're not going to be able to uh, find the best candidate freelancing, but maybe they're going to be able to find somebody willing to take a job where they can really grow and build, and maybe they can afford them. Do you think that yeah, that's... Yeah, do it in parallel. I would say don't, don't conclude we can't afford a person. Conclude that, hey, let's try what Adler says or this compelling approach, see if we can find a full-time person. If that person is, or if someone local is easier to manage and outsource. Uh, so I think... There's an option that I would use. I wouldn't make a general conclusion that this is what I'm going to do forever. And I think that's what people do. They said, okay, I'm going down this path. Well, that might not be the best best path to, to conclude. And I think people then get in the habit of doing things without thinking a lot. Let's sit back and figure out what's our problem we're trying to solve. Um, and I, I think the big one that I see when I go uh, on to the company basis, everybody wants to hire good people, but they don't want to pay them a lot. Well, right. that's a strategy decision. Uh Everybody kind of puts a boring job ad on, uh, on Craigslist. It doesn't work that they blame it on Craigslist. No, it didn't work because you're thinking surplus versus scarcity. I suspect if I have a very compelling ad on Craigslist, somebody would, and I push it to somebody, and somebody else sees it, hey, I saw this cool job, and it was attractive, it would actually work. Uh, so you have to have, so from an advertising standpoint, you have to have good advertising that's compelling, and people have to see it. I tend to feel if you, if I send them an email, they'll see it. It's got to have a good. I mean, all this stuff about advertising, but so I don't. I think the outsourcing in-house person, I think, is a decision. I wouldn't do it for a critical position where the person's a manager. I'd certainly consider it for project work and maybe work where I could uh, test it out. So uh, I'd at least have a flexible workforce. So I think from that standpoint, it certainly makes sense for certain jobs. Right. One of the key things that we keep coming back to, and I think is so important for people to understand, is the idea of your job ad is an advertisement for you. And I think a lot of people have this misconception that, well, so many people are out of work, they need a job, they should come to me. But they do nothing to entice the candidate to come in and say, I'm going to apply for this job, not because I just need a job, but because it looks interesting. And I think that's a key component that people overlook. Well, it's overlook. It's almost incomprehensible that the public would include because someone's out of work that they should come to me. Number one, that's I'm going to go back to 1887, uh, 18 excuse me, 1877. We had the Great Strike. It was all of a sudden, hey, labor is actually important to the company. Uh, 
Now, I'm pretty much a capitalist and conservative, but I know, hey, you hire good people. You've got to give people what they want. You've got to motivate them. You've got to keep them excited. Why would you even want to demean somebody who says they're out of work, they should come to me? Right. An employee is, a, as you said earlier when you, when you introduced this, that's a huge investment. Why don't you make the huge investment and treat people with respect, keep them motivated, keep them excited, help them learn, help them develop. Now you develop an employer brand. It doesn't have to be a big company. I want to work at XYZ Plumbing Shop down the street. What's wrong with that? And treat people with respect, and uh, you don't necessarily have to pay them any extra. You just have to treat them as real people who are going to grow your company. And you look at every small company that's made it successful that's on, on these different shows, there's always some respect for the employee. Well, start that showing that respect when you start hiring them. Yeah, I wasn't no, emotional about that. I was just choked up on my coffee here. Uh, <laughs> but maybe I should be emotional about that because I truly believe it. It just makes no sense that uh, you would treat even the concept. But now it goes back to it. The best people aren't unemployed. Right, right. I mean, so so, that, so it's a stupid conclusion even to begin with. Aside from that, even if it was true, I think it's a stupid uh, uh, conclusion what you do as a result of it. But neither here nor there. All right. Now, some of the other questions focus around um, screening and, and background checking of employees because I know it's important everywhere, but for some reason it seems like a lot of the small businesses are concerned about not only their investment that they're making in the employee, but their liability. And so they do background checks as a regular part of their screening, and they're looking for things, and, and we're not even going to get into the legal aspect of it, which is what are you entitled to look at, um, you know, can you look at someone's asset profile and determine that they are not going to be right for you because they have a bankruptcy? You know, there's there's legal issues that make some of that activity illegal to discriminate, you know, based upon certain criteria. But that aside, what do you think about the importance of background checking? When do you do it? And what do you focus on? Well, let's say this. I... Believe in it thoroughly. I mean, a background verification, credit, ver well, whatever you can do, you know, you have to do it. Certainly the background verification and reference checking, I support 100%. However, and I even use uh, questionnaires and uh, testing to do it. Uh, I don't particularly like DISC. I like uh, Profiles International. I like tests that actually get into numeric and verbal reasoning. Uh, Personality-based tests, I less uh find them less important because you know, introverted people are equally as capable as extroverted people. So that I don't like. But uh, but the purpose is I, I do it for the three or four final candidates. I don't do it for as an upfront screen. Uh, so this is, and I, I got a lot of test people who I use their tests and they still get aggravated with me because I say, don't do it. They want to sell 100 tests. I only want to sell, sell four tests. So even though I advocate their tests, I disagree on when you do it. I do it when I'm down to, hey, we've got three or four candidates, hey, our final thing is we want you to go through this, the reference check, the drug test, the background check, um, whatever I can do, I'll do. Uh, and then we have the final final round. So I would I put it towards the end as opposed to towards the beginning. The, re the primary reason is more process is, it's not really from a cost savings, is I don't want to lose good candidates. I When you put it in the front, you're considering the job. Again, it becomes, you assume there's a scarcity people and only people and it's not that's not true the best people there isn't they're never excuse me there's an assumption there there's a surplus of good talent it's always a flawed assumption there's never a surplus of good talent so i don't want to demean somebody and i've got to convince them this is a worthy job before they'll go through that rigmarole 
but I tell them, hey, say, you know, uh, Mary, if this is the job, we're going to do these things. So recognize if we we take this, we got a couple more rounds of interviewing to do. But if we get to the end here, we're going to have you do these things. So let's make sure that you're clean with that. So I tell them, but I don't do it to the end. <clears throat> now, reference checks. We talked about that. Just you mentioned that a second ago. Um, feedback that I receive from a lot of smaller and mid-sized companies is, why bother to do reference checks? Because the references that these people put down are obviously going to say something positive. Otherwise, they wouldn't have them listed. How do you feel about that? And I say, yeah, so what? I mean, I, I mean, I agree with that, but I just did a reference check for a senior tax director. I talked to a number of people. I said, what is this person's strengths? Why do you believe these are strengths? What was the circumstances around these strengths? Where did this person succeed? So I'm learning a lot in, about the situational aspects of this person's performance, the types of managers, how much independence the person has. Uh, yes, the person's great, and I want to find out why the person's great and under what circumstances. Then I compare those to the circumstances of my client. Is the person independent? Is the person self-motivated? Is the person need more structure? So you learn a lot about greatness, and let me put that word in quotes, the circumstances of greatness. I then asked the question, what would it take for this person to even be better, or the one single thing this person could do to be better at? So I start getting at weaknesses by asking the question in a slightly different manner. Where could this person actually improve his or her performance in certain areas? I also find the relationship, the credibility of the person giving the reference. So there, there's, you get a lot of value from it. it. And what I do, though, because remember, I've conducted this performance-based interview before I do the reference, I now know I can say, yeah, does this story tie together? This doesn't make sense. The candidate told me this, and the reference is saying the candidate was doing this. So all of a sudden you see inconsistencies in the stories. Um, so I think it's still valuable. Again, it's the conclusion is only going to give great people. Well, I want to find out why, how the person is going to rank them great. And it's not generic. It gets pretty specific. That goes back to the performance-based methodology I advocate. Well, I think that's so critical for people to understand because most people say, yeah, we do a reference check, and, you know, all we're told is the dates of employment because nobody wants to be sued. Um, or they're looking for someone to say, oh, my God, this person is awful. Don't hire them. But you're using it as an extension of the investigation that you're doing into the skill set and characteristics and abilities of the candidate versus a way of sort of um, canceling out a potential candidate. You're looking at it more as, well, let's learn more about their skill set and what they can do. And that's I think a unique approach. I don't know anybody that we work with that thinks about it that way. So that's really interesting. Well, the reason I think about it that way is I have a year guarantee on my placements, which, so I, it, again, it's, it's not as altruistic as you might think. It's self-defense. I don't want to do this search over again. Uh, so right. I want to do it right. Now, on the other hand, I do learn a heck of a lot, and I still have to be discriminating, and I still want to do it, but it's, it's also sometimes they take a shortcut during the interview. So I know that uh, two weeks from now I'm going to do references. Let me just make sure I'm doing a little more diligent during the actual interview itself. So in some ways, it's, just, it's a system that enforces, number one, I want to hire the top third. I don't want to make mistakes. Uh, so, I, yes, I, I'll call it a systems-level approach to cover all our bases. And I, So, yes, it does get the end result that you defined. I don't know that the purpose was... Uh, exactly as you thought. I just said, I want to just make sure I got this right candidate here. Because we put a lot of credibility in what we do, which I find interesting. As I put a year guarantee behind it, most companies don't, con if a company says, this person could be here a year. Right. That's Nobody else thinks that way. 
uh, and a hiring manager, this person's my future sitting in. So they, they tend to do it superficially rather than in-depth, which makes no sense to me. So I do it purely from a business standpoint is I don't want to just guarantee. I want to make sure I got the product right. And, you know, that's that's really, though, what everyone wants to do. They want to make sure that the candidate that they're bringing in, they're getting it right. And I think, you know, what do you think about this statement? I, I Here, I think that in talking to people, they look at hiring and uh, the job posting and the interviews as a necessary evil, and they just get it done. They don't actually put any thought into it. Do you agree with that? 100%. I mean, my, one of my first jobs, as I said, which you asked earlier, uh, my first management job was manager of capital planning for a big automotive company in the Midwest. And if you spent more than, at the time, so it was more than $200,000, um, you had to put a capital appropriation request to justify that expense. And we did them from 200000 to $200 million, so we had a huge new plant we were setting up. Uh, but you look at a decision, decision today, if a company is going to spend $200,000 for a new piece of equipment, they would spend some real time studying the vendors. They put hours into it. But they'll spend, they'll hire someone for fifty or seventy thousand dollars or seventy-five with overhead. It's going to be a hundred. Obama insurance is going to be one hundred and ten or whatever it may be. The person's got an impact. That impact of that person's is clearly three to four times in terms of the business a significant investment. But they want to, they'll, they'll waste their time. I mean, p- people will spend more time figuring out what TV to buy than they will in terms of who they should hire. Yeah, that's really true. It really is. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'll, I mean I literally, I looked at a new monitor. I spent four hours figuring out what monitor I wanted here. I hire somebody, people spend a half hour on. Oh, yeah, let's get the person done. It, it's it's almost like, I and I that I part I can't quite figure out why we do it, human nature, but it is, uh, hey, uh, we really just, other than what I find is good managers don't do that. Good managers recognize it. So I'm almost going to say is if you don't do this, if you don't recognize the value of each person who works for you and willing to invest the time, you should not be a manager. Uh, now, what I've discovered is 20% of the people have that will, will naturally do it the right way. Another 50% will probably do it that way if they're told to do it and given some structure to it. And 30% shouldn't really be managers. They're, if they're not willing to do it, they should not. They should okay, you're no longer a manager. That's a pretty hard hardball way to say it, but the truth is, it's reality. Right. So it's it's uh, I think it's a whole unique approach that people need to look at because what you said makes so much sense. People go on to Yelp and Amazon, and before they go to a restaurant or they buy a product, they're looking at thousands of reviews to see if it's the right thing for them because they don't want to waste their money. But why are employers not taking that same tack? Because we don't want to waste our money either. But yet we're not looking at reviews, and by reviews I mean proper screening, proper um, interviews, getting the right people in. So it's a really good analogy. If you're going to do it for something as simple as a TV, why not do it for somebody that you're going to be paying would hopefully help your company grow. So I, I think it's a real good point to make. Yeah, no, it is kind of, that's another article I, I think I've written once, but I'll say the capital decision. But that's a different thing. I'm getting some good articles here, Peter, if nothing else. So. <laughs> Let me ask you another couple of questions. Uh, we've got about eight minutes left, so I just want to get a couple things out there. Um, evaluations. You've brought the person in. They're working. Um, you're going to be reviewing them. A lot of companies say, all right, six-month review, or annual review. Other companies say, well, we're constantly evaluating our employees and constantly looking at them. There's no reality to it. If we see something good or bad, we tell them, where do you stand on that approach? 
Okay, so let me kind of go back to what you asked me about performance-based hiring. So kind of this is a good way to tie it together. When you think about when I and I started off by saying all we're really doing with performance-based hiring is bringing the performance management system. Let's define the work a person needs to do, which is fundamental management 101. Google's Project Oxygen defined it. Gallup's Q12 defines it. Clarify expectations up front. When I got my MBA from UCLA, I'll say in 1971, because UCLA, I think, has got a football game tonight I'm going to watch, I believe to be true. Uh, nonetheless, define expectations. That's management 101. Tell people what they're supposed to do. And if, you, if you're not willing to do that, you, again, you shouldn't be a manager. So all we're suggesting is let's hire people who want to do that work and are capable of doing it. There might be a bit of a gap in terms of their skills because we're now going to expand the pool, so I as a manager have to coach a developer. We have to develop some training. During the onboarding process, uh, I'm going to, hey, you know, Peter, we told you these are the things we had to do. Let's clarify it. Let's make sure you understand it. We've, we've interviewed you. So I've told the candidate before they hired exactly what the job is about. I, they, so we've had this conversation about the real job. There's no surprise when the person starts, so we just clarify it during the onboarding. I then, from a performance management system, I already told it, Peter, here's what we have to do. Here's the things, six things we got to get done, and in our performance-based job. So what we've really done is we've taken performance management and embedded it, number one, we've upscaled it internally for company. Hey, let's clarify expectations up front. Let's manage and develop people this way. Let's hire them that way, and let's onboard them that way, and let's do it. So the idea is whether you formalize it in a uh, monthly review, yearly review, quarterly review, irrespective of that, I am managing to this person's performance objectives. And if the person's self-motivated and doesn't need a lot of training, they can do it on their own. We're probably going to talk about it. Hey, where are you on these projects? And so I think in some way it is real time all the time, but I think there should be a formal review at least once a quarter. Hey, where are you doing? Where are you off? How are you doing it? And I think if you set that up, it, it's, it adds some structure to the managers and the candidate or the new hire who probably aren't as uh, into performance management as they should be. So, again, I'll leave that up, but I think my sense is uh, clarifying expectations, communicating them, figuring out where a person is or not, you pretty well have the system built into play that would work on an almost real-time basis. And then have a formal review at least uh, once a quarter, if not a little bit more than that. But certainly every six months or once a year, yeah, that's obligatory and it's pretty much a waste of time. All right, let me ask you one more question. I want to give you time to tell people where they can locate you. and um, Last question. There are a lot of people that will say when I do a review, I will always include something negative, even if it's minor, simply to protect myself from liability if I need to fire them later. What do you think about that? That's a, I think it's pretty stupid. Uh, I mean, maybe I would just say um, I think the idea of improvement, uh, you know, I think you're a great can, uh, person, Peter. You've accomplished these objectives. Here's the one area I think if you want to improve and become better at it, it might be this. I would do it from a, again, I treat people, I'm a pretty tough guy, but I treat people with a respect to say, hey, no, I think, you know, you're not great at dealing with marketing people. You're great with dealing with engineering and operations, but the sales and marketing people, uh, we got to work on that. I don't exactly know how we're going to get there, but I do it in a positive way rather than this, uh, and maybe there's some legal issues to do it, and I tend not to be cynical with respect to that. I'm cynical about other stuff, but not that one. So I think telling someone where they can improve not as opposed to a weakness, the same exact thing, that's one of the questions I ask my references. What's the one single thing this person can do to be better? 
Well, that's an improvement. It's not a weakness. Oh, I need to be able to communicate more succinctly uh, to senior executives. Great, let's work on that. Um, so I, I look at it as a positive motivator as opposed to a demotivator. Got it. All right, Lou, I want to give you some time now to tell everyone how they can get in contact with you, um, best way to, to contact you and reach out to get more from you. So I'm going to let you do that. Okay, well, our website is louaddergroup.com. I think louaddergroup.com. I know we changed the name a couple of times, but that's the website, louaddergroup.com. Certainly info at louaddergroup.com. Certainly you can reach us there. Our basic company, and we work with small companies and large companies, we have online training. It's public. We also do it on site, but we have online training. So you can go there. You go to training. We train recruiters. We train hiring managers in performance-based hiring. We conduct searches using performance-based hiring, and we do that more to demonstrate the, how it works to uh, introduce the concept to companies as a means to do that. So we go around the world implementing performance-based hiring at different companies we train people how to do it. We train hiring managers how to do it, and we uh, develop that kind of program. Certainly my book, The Essential Guide for Hiring and Getting Hired, which Peter mentioned earlier, is available at Amazon. The audio book is there. The print book is there. The Kindle book is there. So that's my latest book, and uh, that should be enough. For, if you really want to find me, go to Lou Adler, LinkedIn, Influencer, and you'll see about 200 articles I've written over the past year if you want to get a little bit more information real quickly. All right, Lou, that's great. Thank you so much for being on. I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of questions because a lot of people will uh, download it if they've missed the live show. So hopefully uh, you'd be willing to come back on to answer some of those questions in the future. Be happy to do it. Thank you very much, Peter. Hopefully Thank it was you. helpful to everybody. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, so we just spoke to Lou Adler. I think it's a really um, refreshing take on hiring candidates. I think it's really something that everybody should look into. Uh, remember, we, we told you at the top the show is sponsored by Audible, and they're offering a free audio download if you use the URL or the link audibletrial.com forward slash UTL radio. Why don't you download Lou's book free? It's certainly, uh, I think, something that is really important in today's day and age because I know as an employer dealing with companies who, who are looking for the right candidate, what you want to do is you want to avoid time-wasting. You want to avoid having to do this process over and over again. And I think that uh, Lou's take on this is very interesting. It's a different approach. Look at what you do if you are someone in the position of hiring employees. Do you do anything that Lou mentioned, or do you do the traditional, let's look at the resume, let's get the man, we just need to get somebody here, we need a body. So uh, I encourage you to look at Lou's book, look at his site, and uh, learn more about the approach of uh, performance-based hiring. If you have questions for Lou that you'd like to ask him, please send them in, and then we can get him back on in a future date to go through those questions. Um, links to everything will be posted throughout our social media, so you can uh, you can look for them there. Um, remember to tune in Monday. We're going to have uh, our, our weekly week in review with my co-host Bob Hughes. And we have a lot of other guests coming up, all which will be posted on our social media pages. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for listening. Thank those of you who download this uh, podcast later. And I'd like to remind you that there's power in understanding the law. 